This episode is sponsored by Marquette Associates. Marquette is an independent investment consulting firm that was founded in 1986 and has served the same mission ever since, to be a trusted partner to their clients and provide meaningful and thoughtful investment guidance. They've worked with dozens of public organizations in Illinois, and as of December 31st, 2020, that includes 20 firefighter funds across the state, as well as a new consolidated firefighters pension investment fund. Marquette is headquartered in Chicago, and we're grateful for their support of the podcast. You can learn more about Marquette on their website at marquetteassociates.com. This is not an endorsement of Marquette's services. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to the AFFI podcast. Uh, Luke Allison here, Vice President with AFFI. Here with my co-host, Matt Olson. He's, I think he's replaced Jerry. I like it. That, that You're that all welcome. Uh, unfortunately, Jerry still has not shown up to record an episode with us. Um, he's MIA, and uh, but today we have a awesome guest with us, Tom Howard. He's the director for Illinois Firefighter Peer Support. He is also an Evanston Local 742 member. So we appreciate you joining us this morning. On Thanks this for podcast. having me. And uh, on the previous episode, that would have been episode twelve. We are now on lucky thirteen. Mm. And uh, we kind of got into a little bit of the mental health and the whole physical aspect of sleep, nutrition, and physical fitness, how that all paves the way into mental health. And we thought uh, talking to peer support here would be a great uh, segue to get some more information out to our members because we hope that this information will help somebody along the way, and that would be the intent of it. So, Tom, give us a little more on your background, uh, how how you got involved with peer support and all that. Sure. Um, I've always felt like peer support was something I've done through much of my career. You know, I'd hear about someone having a, a call with a kid or something, and I'd always reach out to the individuals like, hey, I've been there. You know, how you doing? It's okay. And uh, the magic of Facebook, I guess, I'm flipping through one day, and, and here's this registration for a class, which in true fireman fashion, the registration was already passed. <laughs> 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 and uh, I shot off a quick email, and uh, Matt got back to me and was like, absolutely, sign up. <laughs> And so I did. Uh, that was probably, I think, about the second class. It was in Plainfield many years ago. Now at this point, probably about eight years ago. And uh, went to the class, and I'm like, it was, you know, I, I felt like I learned a lot. I also felt at that point uh, <clears throat> it was clinician-driven. It was a three-day class, all mostly put on by a clinician. And there was a couple things as a, as a fireman sitting there in the uh, learning side of it. I thought, boy, there's a couple things I felt should have been there. Um, part of my background was I was just about finishing up with seminary at the time. And uh, we never talked about listening skills. And uh, I remember I had one professor that he started every class with two and a half hours of listening skills. And I'm like, that's really important. So I started writing some curriculum. And eventually then it was, as I submitted it, I thought it'd be like for a con ed kind of thing. And and then Matt's like, hey, this is good. Will you teach it? I'm like, yeah. So I just started kind of showing up to the classes uh, and helping out teach. Uh, and I enjoyed it. Um, you know, from there, my involvement just grew until Matt called me up for coffee one day. And I'm like, oh, that's odd. We've only had coffee one other time. Cool. Let's go. I, I like coffee. <laughs> and uh, he sits down. He goes, uh. I think I've had enough. <laughs> Are you interested? 
And of course, I was smart enough to go, yes, however, let me ask my wife. Because <laughs> <laughs> I understood what it involved, and I understand how I am. Like, I, I don't do things halfway. So once I go, I'm all in. Uh, and, and my wife was gracious enough and absolutely understood the importance of all this. And with her full support and blessing, uh, we moved forward. Is uh, asking your wife in the peer support training for everyone? <laughs> it probably should be, right? It probably should be. Uh, we can we can talk about some relationship stuff that I teach along the way in the class. But yeah, yeah, talking to our spouses a bit more and better than we do would probably help. <laughs> sure, sure would be. Uh, Matt, so, and again, it's great to have you here with us. You kind of got this role in the whole Illinois Firefighter Peer Support. So I think that's a perfect thing to get this whole episode rolling is like, how, how did it come to fruition? How did this, how did it come to be? Well, if we go back all the way to the beginning, and it, unfortunately we're going to have to roll Jerry Marzullo back into this because <clears throat> in reality, Jerry Marzullo created the Illinois Firefighter Peer Support team. I, I, I get a lot of credit for that, but to Tom's point, we, uh, Tom is is a tease and ice guy, right? Tom is is accurate. I'm more of a wing it sort of fella, um, and I knew that this was important. So we were just trying our best to throw everything at the wall to see what stuck. Um, and this idea had been tried before, but never really got traction. And I don't know why, but for some reason it did. And all of a sudden we had some people listening. So it's like, okay, let's keep doing this until we see what works. And he's correct that initially. Uh, we leaned on clinicians because I only got involved because I struggled myself and I had a very good experience with my own clinician. And uh, if you meet her, she'll tell you she doesn't know if there is or isn't a Matt Olson, but her name's Laura Farrar. She works in Naperville, Illinois, and I can assure you that she's the person that saved my life. Um, so I was really, uh, I was attracted, I suppose, to their message. It worked for me. But we did learn as we were building the program that maybe the better way to do this is to have it firefighter-led. And there were some things that we did in the first few <clears throat> classes that were valuable, but more so when firefighters began to do them. So we did change a lot of the curriculum. That's why I liked what Tom produced because it was, first of all, very valuable. But at the same time, we can do this. We don't need any help with this. This is a guy talking to another guy, firefighter talking to another firefighter. Um, that, that's the message, right, in a complete nutshell. So Jerry was able to button it all up for us and create the 501c3, which is really important because then people were willing to kind of donate, right? Um, Jack Berry, to give credit where it's due from the beginning, was the person that funded us. Jack gave us a few thousand dollars and said, what do you need? Well, we need a website. We need some social media. We need maybe to get a venue for a class. And he took care of all of that for us, which we sincerely appreciate. At the time, we didn't have any ability to do so. Um, Jerry creating the charity for us made it possible for us to actually receive donations. And then it started to grow. So the long story short is uh, my own struggles got a lot better when I talked about them. And it's funny because at every class and, and like the one Tom was at, um, I had to stop for a minute and give some credit to the chaplains because the whole mm -hmm. purpose of the class was, hey, look, you guys, if you talk to each other and somebody listens to you, this works. And the chaplains would all look at me like, really, Matt, you think that's a thing? You know, they've been doing that for years, you know, and Tom had just yeah. finished up his master's in divinity. And I knew that Tom didn't go get a master's degree for no reason. Um, so he seemed like a perfect fit. He's a good man. He's uh, uh, able to do this. He's gifted at this. He's willing to do this, which is even most important. Um, and so it does become 
a bit of work, right? It's not easy to control a charity like that and try and guide that ship. It's more like turning around a cruise ship and it's difficult. Uh, so I did the best I could for as long as I could. Um, and absolutely thrilled to be able to pass the baton to Tom. So Tom, aside, you know, aside from that, where's peer support kind of going now? You, Matt kind of gave the history. What's, where are we at now with peer support? What's, what's the resources? What are you guys doing? and getting everything out there to uh, firefighters across the state. Sure. So, uh, you know, kind of once I kind of took the reins and figured out where it was going, uh, I kind of streamlined a few things because, like Matt said, uh, I'm a little more of a, you know, crossing the T's, dotting the I's. Matt's more throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. (laughs) So, we, you know, we kind of streamlined a little bit how it was functioning. Uh, And then from there, really, we just kind of let it dictate where it went. Um, and it's just continued to grow. Um, once we were kind of established, if you will, I, I felt like it was kind of running the way it needed to. Um, funding, fortunately, uh, uh, is really not an issue for us because nobody gets paid. Uh, we all volunteer, including myself and our clinical director, uh, Dr. Christy McKinnis. We all volunteer our time for this. Um, we had some funds and uh, we decided to reach out and do the symposium a couple of years ago, uh, followed by the second one. Uh, didn't have one last year, of course, because, or I guess this year. Uh, yeah, this year because of COVID. Uh, but we're online to do one again for 2022. Um, <clears throat> so we're just kind of moving forward with that, uh, recognizing that we had a good blueprint of how to do peer support for first responders, uh, we finally expanded first of the year into the police side as well. And we're working on 911 dispatchers. Um, I have someone to take that reign, uh, but that probably won't be till the end of this year. Um, recognizing that, especially for us in law enforcement, uh, what affects us is different, but how it affects us, how we bring it home and how we get better is very much the same. So with that blueprint, because I keep getting asked, like, what about cops or what about dispatchers, right? Excluding the jokes, of course. <laughs> but, uh, you know, having that blueprint, we need to just make that happen. All right. Are they coming under the umbrella of firefighter peer support or are they kind of starting their own little organizations, like offshoots of it? So they're they're starting their own. So it's uh, Illinois Law Enforcement Officer Peer Support. And they're their own branch. They're under our 501c3, uh, which... We've just had to, we're putting the final touches on that. We're just updating that because the original uh, paperwork was strictly firefighter. So we're changing the wording so that it says first responder and then a little legal jargon, not excluding this, that, and the other thing, uh, so that we can include uh, police and dispatchers uh, within kind of under that umbrella. Oh, that's good. I think it's, uh, you know, sorely needed. So kind of on that topic, so for our members, our firefighters, obviously we see things we normal humans shouldn't see, right? And there's different things that affect all of us uh, throughout time. Where's peer support fit in? and Or even, I guess I should roll back a little bit. Let's say, and Jerry's very good at this when we do this podcast, we, we try to reach, aside from our union leadership and involvement, that backs up firefighter or that paramedic on an ambulance how do they recognize some things are wrong and, and, you know, 
realize that maybe they need some help and, and, and start reaching out to you guys? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. It's a tough question. So first thing I would probably do is define <clears throat> peer support in two separate ways. So first of all, there's like an internal peer support and an external. Uh, Illinois Firefighter Peer Support is an external peer support. So if you need help and you want to reach out, reach out to us. However, I've, I've never really met you before, right? I don't know if you're okay. But you know who would know? Your coworkers, right? And so that's where an internal peer support comes in. You know, I show up to work. My house has has six of us. I know the I know my guys, right? If someone's a little off, I ask them, right? That's how peer support works every day. And so it's oftentimes it's it's almost like addictions, right? The last person to know they're an alcoholic is the alcoholic, right? The last person to recognize it they're on a downward spiral oftentimes is the person that's in that. And they may recognize it, but they're not willing to admit it, or maybe they think they're coping okay. Uh, however, your your buddies, your coworkers are looking going, something's not right. And so it's up to each of us to reach out and go, hey, are you sure you're okay? I've been seeing this and this. How can I help, right? And, and so that's how that internal peer support works. It's with the coworkers and asking each other if you're okay doing check-ins, especially after you've had a tough call. If someone's uh, maybe really quiet afterwards, right, after a call, at make sure, right? Find out if we all know when someone's going through something tough at home, and we all know that in the firehouse. Make sure they're okay. And, and, if, and if they're quiet about it and don't really want to talk, you can always give them the number because I, I, I get those calls a lot, like, They'll call our 855 number, and I'll be like, oh, what's going on? Oh, oh my lieutenant told me I should call you. <laughs> right? Oftentimes, doesn't even know why he's calling, but he was told he should call because of X, Y, Z, right? And so that's how that external part fits in to where maybe you don't want to share all your intimate details with your coworkers, but you're willing to reach out and to talk to someone else, right? So that's kind of how I see peer support working in that role. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's a, a really good way to say that, Tom. I know one of the questions we got frequently from firefighters was a lot like Luke's when we started doing this. It's like, hey, that's fantastic. This is all great information. Now, how do we know and what do we do with this? Um, and I honestly didn't really have an answer to that question. And I remember after coming up here to Local 2, I'm talking with their guys about the, uh, the gatekeepers and helping them with their program. And I was talking with a retired battalion chief named Rich Dory here from Local 2. And he asked me, he goes, man, I got 97 something firehouses. You know, I walk into one of these and a the guy tells me he's not doing good. What am I supposed to do with that? And I said, I don't know. Let's talk about it. And we had one of the best conversations I've ever had. And we talked for about an hour and ultimately where we left it was, look, I get that you're not okay. I'm okay that you're not okay. I don't want you to stay there. So while I may not be able to fix that problem for you, what I can do is let you know that it's fine that you're not fine. Let's do something about it. And so if all we're able to do is create a space within that firehouse you're talking about, that internal peer support, think of it like your family. Like I don't go home each day complaining about the things that are dragging me down. Uh, a lot of times you just get through them. There are some times, though, where it's too much. And that's when my wife and I sit down or my kids and I all sit down and we'll talk about things. I know that that's safe to do at home. 
if we knew that it was safe to do at the place where we work with the people that we do it with, that's oftentimes enough to crack that seal. So that's when we talk about make it safe, make it safe to not be okay. Make it safe to talk Mm -hmm. to somebody and know that maybe not everybody in that building, but somebody in that building will be there for you. Um, And if we left people with that message, I think we were doing it right. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the best things I think we could push out to people is in your firehouse work to create that environment, have that, you know, because we talk about the brotherhood, sisterhood, camaraderie, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, to make it comfortable and then watch out for your brothers and sisters, I think is the big thing is to, to that's how it's recognized and kind of try to get that that kind of environment built in all the firehouses across the state would be hugely beneficial. Correct. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's actually one of our biggest goals is to just keep getting the word out. Right. Like that's always the biggest push. And and. You know, I think if you were to go around suburban Chicago and ask about Illinois Firefighter Peer Support, I'd almost be surprised if there was a department that didn't hear about us. But as soon as you get south of 80, (laughs) or... That's brought up a lot. (laughs) South of Pontiac becomes Kentucky quickly. Yeah, right? So it, it, it becomes much more difficult to get that word out down there. We've done classes down there, and we've done classes out by the Quad Cities, and then it just stops. So getting that word out and that staying uh, relevant in those areas is always a challenge. Yeah, and that was one of our, our, our pushes when we were new. Uh, I know Chief Humor in, in Normal, Illinois, was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, Champagne firefighters were really helpful. Carbondale, um, you know, a, a, a super helpful. Um, Collinsville. You know, mm-hmm. we tried to look at Illinois and think, well, how can we, if we can't, we can't get to everybody. And certainly there's so many rural pockets down there. What if we created some touchstones? And that's why we decided to do that. We went to Rockford. We, you know, we had a presence up in Northern Illinois already. We went to central Illinois in two different places. We went to the, you know, the Metro East with Collinsville. We went down south to Carbondale and yeah, man, there's still more south after that, which I had to learn. Um, <laughs> so we tried our best just to create areas where hopefully that message would con- continue to get shared and at least people yeah. would have a place to go that wasn't all the way up here. So kind of just, and we'll cover this again at the end, I think just to, to keep the message out there. So trying to expand this and then hopefully our podcast today really helps get some listeners and maybe it has that outreach. What can a department or even a union local do to work with your organization to get, get, get the resources. And again, like you're talking downstate or whatever, you know, sure. to help expand this so that we get those environments and firehouses across the state would be the ultimate goal. So any department within the state can call us and we will come out and we offer an outreach training. It's a couple hours, right? Uh, if you're a volunteer department, we'll come out on your Wednesday night or Monday night, whenever you're Sunday, I don't care. We'll come do it. Uh, full-time departments will do across the three shifts, you know, the, the standard Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, plug us in in the morning or afternoon, whatever you want to do. We'll come out and do that training across all three shifts. Um, Also, if there's a department that maybe is outside of the Chicago area, that's like, Hey, we really want to be more involved. We can bring a two day training course to your, your department. Right. Uh, Usually when we do that, we ask that, you know, at least a 15 people commitment. We'll run the class uh, there's no cost to the department other than for the individuals that attend and then, you know, open it up to your area and be that that point like Matt was talking about. And I, I want to make a, a distinction here, Luke, that where I really think Tom's got it right. 
the international has a very good message. And I think the things that they teach are super valuable. Uh, their conversation's wonderful, and it's taught by really good people. Um, the, the people the IFF brings out to do their peer support program are excellent. And what they leave you with is excellent. However, uh, if you were to call D.C. and say, man, I, I, I need to talk to somebody, that's not really the rubber meeting the road that they do. Where in Illinois, that's exactly what Tom does. So while I'll give credit where it's due for the international, um, that they're creating more good conversations, if you want somebody to connect with, if you want a firefighter to meet another firefighter, have that conversation, that's what Tom does. Yeah, on that, is that the feeling that uh, having a resource and the conversations around the state and having more people engaged, that's going to create more resources resources for our firefighters across the state, correct? Like, correct. That's like, yeah. like the whole idea because you might not be comfortable <clears throat> and you kind of said this earlier in your own firehouse talking to somebody. So I, I might be more likely to talk to Matt who's in Bolingbrook. Then, for right. example, you know, for, for, you know, it's, if you have a young firefighter, he might not want to talk to someone of higher rank. You know, I don't, I don't know how your promotional stuff works in your department, but I know for us, it's, it's pretty clear cut. I, I, wouldn't necessarily get that counted against me in our promotional process in Evanston. However, I also might be nervous about telling someone senior that I'm struggling with this because later he might be my boss. And now he's not going to trust me because I told him I was struggling with X, Y, Z. So having that external place to go to be really open and honest really helps the, that whole peer idea flourish. Uh, it takes the boundaries off. One of the things that I learned about firefighters that I didn't know, uh, because at the time that I had my own struggles, I, you know, I was 24 years on the job at the time. I'd already been promoted. And it was, it meant a lot to me to hide all of that, that nobody knew that I was in trouble. Um, I, you know, and I became expert at keeping that to myself to the point where uh, addiction and suicide became realities. That's not okay. Like there's better ways to do that. And when we started holding the classes that Tom's talking about, when we started modifying them to make them more firefighter driven, one of the things that was really important to me was hearing from the guys. So I would spend 45 minutes or so in detail explaining to them why I was there. Uh, it was always a difficult conversation, but it was important for me to put that out there. Uh, and after that conversation, none of them could say, well, I'm Tom from Evanston. Uh, Tom was going to tell me, why are you in this room? And the thing that I really took away was how willing firefighters are to share that stuff, how willing they are to admit their vulnerabilities and to mm -hmm. confront them. Uh, and it's, I got a lot of credit for giving back and that here's the truth. Uh, I was taking all the time. That's what I was doing. Cause every time I heard from those guys, it was helping me feel better. It was helping me be better. Uh, I was helping me realize I wasn't alone. And I really wasn't as bad off as I thought I was struggling right now, but that's not forever. Um, but there's a lot of willingness within the fire service for our men and women uh, to stand up and go, yeah, man, some of the stuff's not okay. Uh, that was really empowering. Mm -hmm. walking, walking back a, a little bit. So on your two different courses, one's more for the outreach, letting people know what you do and what the resources are, correct? Correct. And then your other one that you describe with the minimum 15 today is actually training people to be peer supporters, correct? Correct. Okay. And yeah. so with that minimum of 15 uh, and, and scheduling two days, how, how many of those a year are you doing? Is that is it 
or is it kind of slowed down a little bit as we've expanded <laughs> over the years, you know? Well, COVID definitely shut that down, right? Yeah. Um, we've just kind of picked back up. Uh, we did a class this spring uh, in uh, way down, it was near Carbondale, uh, Mount Vernon, Mount Vernon, Illinois. Uh, the, the state fire marshal gave us uh, funding to put on three classes for rural populations. So that was one of those classes. We have another one coming up in, don't quote me, I think it's October, uh, in Amboy. Uh, they're going to host one as well. Uh, so we're, And we're going to continue with that. The fire marshal's looking at giving us funding to do that again next year. Um, the classes right now have just kind of slowed down because we hit the suburban Chicago market so hard for like, six years that it kind of got to where everybody that wanted the class took it. So we kind of slowed down a little bit on giving the classes. And now my approach to the class is if someone's interested, call me Uh, again, if you can get 15 people to commit, we'll come out and do the class. Um, And we're just now kind of getting dialed back up. We did a uh, class in uh, Aurora uh, this spring as well. Uh, and we ran some about, I think, 26 people through that. So how many peer supporters do you think we have in the state roughly right now? Do you have any so, uh, rough idea? Yeah, sure. Uh, we have uh, over 400 people that have been trained in Illinois. Uh, of that number, though, uh, this is where, again, firefighters, here we go. Uh, they're required to complete 10 hours of continuing education per year. Uh so we're at about, I think we're at 153 that actually have their con ed that's complete. So so what we do is if, if someone took the class, uh, as long as they do their, their 10 hours, they stay on the peer request list. So if someone calls us for help, that's the 153 that will receive an email saying, hey, we have someone looking for help. Um, if you don't do your continuing education, we don't kick you off the team. Uh I created a new category called peer advocate so they can advocate for us, but they won't get peer requests. And part of that is just cleaning up the list because honestly, when it's like any volunteer organization, right? Like, so 30 people show up and take a class 15, you'll never hear from again. I don't know why they were there. Maybe they needed it. Right. Maybe they'll help someone in their firehouse, but they're like, eh, I don't want to do that. That's fine. I have no problem with that. Right. Some people sow the seeds, some of them water it and some of them pick the fruit. It's good. <laughs> Right. So, so then we just, we narrow that down. Right. If someone wants to come back a couple of years later and go, Hey, look, man, I I didn't do my con ed because I was going to have a baby and had triplets. I get it. You know, if they complete their 10 hours, they're back in and they're they're on the peer request list. Again, we're not, we're trying to ding anybody. We're just trying to keep the list narrowed down to people that really want to be involved. Uh, Tom, let me ask you this. When, uh, Tom and I are very much the same in a lot of ways, very different in others. Um, Tom's pastor of his local church. I'm a guy that had to figure out, you know, how to find a church, let alone wander on back in. Um, And one of the things I think Tom does really well is he presents a faith component, but he doesn't push a faith component. It's kind of what it's there. And I know that it's there. And for me personally, even struggling with spirituality and faith myself, I did, uh, at the advice of my counselor, I would drive, speaking of the north side of the city, I, I would drive from Joliet to the North Park Covenant Church to meet a guy named Mark Nilsson, who was a pastor there. And the first time I met Mark, he had no idea who I was. 
They said, well, you know, who are you and what do you want? I said, well, I'm Matt. No reason you would know me, but I want to talk to you. And he's like, great, let's go do that. And we would go to this Jiro shop and go get, I'm sure I said that incorrectly. Sorry to all my Greek listeners. Um, and we'd go get lunch. Uh, best conversation I had that week. And I would come every week. Did that for about four months. And he left me with an understanding that while uh, I may not be where I want to be or need to be with spirituality and faith, that door is always open. And I appreciated that. So when I felt like connecting and reaching out, I could do so. Um, and Tom has created a lot of pockets within uh, Illinois Firefighter Peer Support that allow you know some families uh, to connect, some spouses to connect. There's a spirituality component. There's components for you know, people in recovery. Mm -hmm. Would you talk about those things, Tom? Now, all of, we're all firefighters. We have that in common, but sure. maybe some of those differences give people an avenue to connect with you. Sure. So, so one of the things that we did is, uh, and, and some of that was born out of you and I having a conversation actually in Carbondale at that class. And we were running into this issue of uh, people reaching out to us after an incident. Like, what do we do? Can you help us? And we're like, uh, we're not CISD. And we're still not CISD. If you like that, that's fine. That's not for us. Uh, and one of the issues we had was because we recognized that one of the issues that the critical incident stress debriefing teams had was oftentimes people would show up and they didn't really understand what they were doing. They didn't understand firefighters. And it always went sideways. So one of the things we talked about was if we were going to do what we call now an immediate needs team. Uh, if we we're going to do that, it had to be handpicked people that absolutely understood why they were there. It's not about them. It's about the incident. It's not about peer support. It's about just starting a conversation for people to talk because through talk, that's how they start to heal. And, and so uh, came up with the idea of creating a team because all of us understand how that works at the firehouse, right? Like, when I got to Evanston, I was fully trained up for the technical rescue stuff. However, the team was full, <laughs> right? So I looked from the outside, like I had to wait till someone left the team to fill that spot. And so we started creating some teams uh, within peer support because that was kind of my feeling was people understand that, well, there's six people on that team. It's filled right now. So we have that immediate needs team. We also have an addictions team. And addiction, in order to be part of that addictions team, you have to be uh, walking sobriety, right? You've done recovery, you've been through it, you're doing, you're healthy, and you can be part of that team. And, and it, that gave us a better avenue because, and again, with the families as well, right? Like it, it, when people reach out, you're right, we're all firefighters. However, there's also niches within, within that, right? So we try to again, to try to pair people up with that. And we have people that call that like, hey, I'm doing this job. It's messing with my head. Also, it's messing with my faith. All right, I got someone for that, right? Other people that the faith component means nothing to them. And that's fine. We'll get you someone that can help you with what you're going through. So that was kind of how that all came about with creating just to better serve the people that call. Well, so kind of on that, it, I, I thought you were going a little different path there, Matt. But, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm a firefighter that's struggling, you know, obviously got peer support and I can talk to, like you said, the guys in my firehouse, that internal or external, I reach out and, and you hook me up with a firefighter from a few departments away. But then there's always other avenues, too, that can help 
a, a struggling person too, right? Like you can, you have your faith connection. Like sure. you can reach out to the pastor, right? Or uh, counselors or okay, you want to talk a little bit about that? Like, yeah, it's, there's probably a whole different array of things you can do to help yourself, uh, you know, yeah, peer support. And then maybe some of other avenues you can kind of hit on that uh, members might think to, to go yeah. for. So again, I can only speak for Evanston in this respect, but we have two chaplains. They're great, right? So that's an avenue. And many departments do have chaplains. And some are really good, right? Uh, also, there's an EAP. Uh, I would probably say for the most part, EAPs are pretty hit or miss. I'm not a big fan. But I've also sat with a couple departments and saw a presentation from their EAP. And I'm like, that's an EAP I would use, right? Uh, so that's other avenues. And then, of course, there's clinical help. Uh, clinical help gets really tricky for, for us, though. Uh, because I can speak from personal experience, uh, and I often share this. The, the first time I saw a clinician was, well, I say a couple of years ago, but it was probably 20-some years ago. And I was probably 10 minutes in. I'm like, I'm freaking this guy out. I dialed back what I was talking about and never went back. I'm like, this guy has no clue what I'm talking about. Uh, and it, it's, it can, I kind of chuckle about it sometimes, but it's, it's sad and true, but... I can't tell you how often I hear from guys that said, I, I went to a therapist and they started to cry. Like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, so the problem with, with getting clinical help is finding clinicians that understand fire service or first responders in general, right? And military has the same problem. Um, so that's something that we try to help with it within the, the organization. So if people reach out to us, and they want clinical help, we'll try and we'll, we'll work to get them paired up with someone that kind of understands. One of our goals in the future is to actually do a, a clinician training course, a two-day training course to get clinicians uh, up to speed on, on fire service. Uh, the Florida Health Collaborative has been doing this for the last few years. We were right on the edge of doing it. <laughs> and uh, when COVID hit, that got shut down. But uh, clinical help is really a big component uh, honestly, it's a big component of what we do. Um, peer support's great, but I also see us as oftentimes being a soft entry into clinical help. Uh, you know, I've absolutely, to almost quote verbatim, uh, been told by other firefighters, well, therapists are for women. <laughs> uh Okay, and, Matt. and Matt, right? Like, are you calling me a woman then? Because, dude, like, I've been seeing a cl clinician for, you know, because it's helpful. Um, but my point being, though, is that oftentimes they don't want to reach out to a clinician. They're afraid, don't really understand what it's about. So, hey, I'll talk to another fireman, see what happens here. But usually most of the calls I get, I would say at least half of them, I can recognize early on. Yeah, peer support's going to be helpful. A clinician will be helpful too. And I usually tell people, they're like, oh, no, but I'm not that bad. I'm like, well, here's the, here's the, point. Here's the important part. If a clinician knows you when they're good, they can really help you when you're not good. So I always try to sell it that way. But again, I, I, I sometimes, I don't force people. I always leave that as an option. So, so that's kind of getting me to think about a little bit. And, and again, we're kind of doing a little bit of a, companion episode here with the overall mental health and wellness and stuff. What, what's the thought process on you're, you kind of, kind of hit on it there having 
just as a normal part of life, somebody to talk to, to keep you, keep you going and, and, you know, not waiting till something's bad, like having that uh, done well ahead of time so that, you know, maybe the bad stuff doesn't hit you as hard or, or, or whatever. Do you see people doing that? Like, Hey, normally I'm just going to talk to somebody and have that re that outreach. Hmm. Or is it typically just, Hey, you get into it cause you realize there's an issue or something like along those lines. Like, is there like a health maintenance thing? I there? like the way that Tom had said that. I think he summed it up perfectly. If, if they know you when they're well, they can certainly help you when you're not well. And you know, we go to the emergency room with a broken arm. We don't go there to have them check our good arm. Counseling doesn't work like that. And there are times I check in with Laura when I was struggling, it was twice a week. One, once it was twice that day, uh, because I wasn't done yet. So I tied up a couple appointments. Um, and they're happy to do that if they can, can, can fill you in. Uh, but it's every couple months, whether I need it or not. And there's times I talk to her about the Disney dining plan and that day she knows I'm good. And then other days it's, wait a minute, this terrible thing that's on my mind. Um, and because she knows me when I'm, I, I honestly never heard it framed like that, Tom. And I appreciate that. Cause I think that's perfect. Uh, having that experience when things are good, it does make it much more effective when they're not. Yep. Yeah, right. All right. That makes a little sense. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I just didn't know if there was like an avenue, like to continue to talk to somebody or, you know, but you're probably generally going to get into that avenue when you've already had an issue. Right. And then, well, unfortunately, then yeah, especially that. at least that's from my perspective, people don't typically call eight five five ninety support <laughs> because things are having a great day. Right. right. It's because my wife told me I better do something. Right. Uh, so unfortunately I see a lot of the, my life's upside down. What do I do? Uh, but when we're out doing the outreach and the trainings, I always encourage don't wait till it gets bad to do something. Have this in your back pocket, right? Like, again, to use Matt's analogy, I don't, I don't. When I break my arm, to go, oh, which doctor do I got to find a doctor, <laughs> right? I got a doctor. Uh, have a therapist. Have someone lined up. Have someone again that, that maybe knows you, right? Like Matt said, you know, I go in and sometimes I talk about my vacation. He'll tell me about his vacation. It's really cool. Very, very relaxed. Other times I go in there. And I just want to scream, right? Uh, but then he knows that. And so that's really important to kind of have that groundwork ahead of time. And in terms of like peer support, once we pair someone up, if you want to meet with them once, twice, if you want to meet monthly, and we've had a couple requests like, hey, I'm looking for someone long-term. So when I put that out there, like I let, them, I let our, our peers know this person's looking for someone long-term, not just, you know, two, three times and they're done. They want an ongoing relationship with a peer. And, and so we put that out there. So so uh, can you kind of lay out the process of uh, whether I realize I need some help or somebody puts me into your guys' <clears throat> process? Can you kind of lay out for uh, firefighters out there listening what happens? How, how do I get into peer support and, and make the contacts? You just threw the phone number out there, but yeah. just like a good commercial, we'll repeat it about <laughs> five times through this. But yeah, just kind of lay out what what happens. What where what, what will the road be if I if I need the help and how do I get it and then where is it going to go from there? Sure. So again, the eight five five ninety support. It's more letters than numbers, I know, but it works. Uh, or uh, ilffps.org, the website. You can click a button. Uh, if you call the phone number, it goes to a voice mailbox. No one answers it. Uh, you leave your message. That voicemail package gets sent to myself, uh, Dr. McKinnis, and, and two other firefighters. 
um, if it's a high risk, and we all understand high risk, <laughs> uh, if it's high risk, Dr. McKinnis takes it right away. And so glad she does, right? Because I'm not a clinician, never claimed to be, right? Um, but generally, that that's probably uh, like maybe 3% of our calls at most, right? Uh, that end up being high risk. Most of them are just struggling or having trouble at home. So then myself and the two, two other firefighters, whoever's available, will respond back. If you, if you send an email through the website, it goes to the same four people. Uh, and when the same process then takes place, uh, we make contact back. And then usually the first thing I do is explain to them exactly like I am now how we work because most people that call us don't even really understand how we work. So I'll get the detailed information from that person, exactly what's bothering them, uh, what's going on, what they're looking for. Uh, also, I'll get their age, how many years of service, any rank, married, kids, that kind of thing, where they live. Uh, and then I assure them that all that information goes no further than myself at this time. Uh, again, it's I, I really want to, I don't think we really stressed this in the beginning, but as a 501c3, I literally answer to no one but myself, right? We have a board. Uh, I'm the president of the board too. <laughs> so uh, that helps us to maintain that anonymity. Uh, we've never even accidentally given out a name in over eight years. Um, once I gather that information, I'll take it. We use constant contact. I, I'll make up a very vague statement. Uh, male firefighters, mid-30s, far northwest suburbs, struggling with a pediatric death. We'll send that out to our peer supporters. And the real cool thing, like right now, if it was, you know, going on noon and I sent that out, before I would bet by 4 o'clock this afternoon, you'd hear back from a peer. That's good. That's very That's quick. That's very quick. Very quick. Um, uh, once I send that out, people then respond back who's available. I'll look over their information to see who's geographically near, maybe has a similar background, that kind of thing. Uh at that point, that is the one person that will get your personal information, uh, the peer that I choose for you to meet with. Um, that peer gets your personal information. They'll be the next one to contact you. Um, from there, the only thing I ask is um, the peer that I assign to it, they confirm that they made the contact, and then I go back and I delete everything. So if you ask me, Joe Smith, did he send you an email last year? I don't know. <laughs> there's nothing in my records, right? It's all deleted. Uh, because of that, we also don't have really good numbers of how many people we serve a year. I will tell you that we're probably sitting about 80 contacts a year right now. And I'm glad you brought that up, Tom, because that's something that was one of my biggest frustrations. And talking with Tom Elwood with React for Ryan, uh, we had a conversation about that very thing. And he said, oh, it's difficult when your success is measured in non-events. Yeah. Um, and you have 80 contacts a year, but hopefully there's a thousand contacts that were able to reach out within their own firehouse, within their own families, within yep. their own counselors. Because if what you've been able to do is change the conversation and change the direction of stigma to, oh, no, this is a thing guys deal with and this is absolutely okay as a part of this job, uh, that means you're not going to hear from them. That means they're already where you needed them to be. And I think that's really important. And that's, again, like I talked about the class where half of them just disappear. You know what? I, I don't know what they got from the class, but my hope is maybe that's why I'm not here for them. They, they got what they needed. They're helping someone. So, so that's how the process works. 
And, and then it's up to the two peers to whether they want to meet in person, phone. We always encourage in person, uh, not so much during COVID, but anytime we can meet face to face, that's the best communication anytime, right? Yeah. Let me ask you this, Tom. Uh, we talk about the fire service having a lot in common, and we, we all do. We have that in common. We have those shared experiences within the fire service. We also talk about the niches within. And there's one that I think is really common, yet also really uncommon, and that's our veterans. And it, there's a big push within the fire service to hire veterans, and reasonably so. I'm absolutely behind that idea. But we do have to recognize that oftentimes they came to us having had some really difficult life experiences already, and then we exacerbate those by a 20-year fire service career. Um, veterans don't often have uh, a reliable place to go. If one were to call Illinois Firefighter Peer Support, are there access to other veterans who can hear and share that story? We don't have a group set up for veterans. So you're talking about firefighters that are also veterans. Yes. Or are you just talking about straight up, I've never been in a fire service, I'm a veteran, can you help me? Firefighters who are veterans primarily, but to your other question, if whatever you have on that too. I don't care who calls, I'll, I'll find them help. <laughs> I mean, we've already been, we've already set up dispatchers in the past, right? We don't have any dispatchers specifically, but if they call, I make some phone calls, we find someone. Uh, but in terms of uh, firefighter uh, combination of veterans and firefighters, we don't have a specific group, but I'm, I know there's a real high number of our peer supporters that are also veterans. And if I put that out there, I'd probably have half a dozen get back to me. So it would be no different really than I had difficulty with a pediatric emergency. I had difficulty as it relates to my veteran status. I'm a firefighter. That gets sent out and a number of your firefighter veterans call back and say, I'm, I'm that guy. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, and that kind of goes along. Matt, you're kind of going on a path here, just making me think about this too. It might not be a call that's bothering you. It could be family stuff. It could be all kinds of different issues that are stressing you or, or causing you to seek help, right? So you can just, because it's got the firefighter peer support name with it, but we struggle with all kinds of things. So when you get in the pipeline with, with peer support, you're going to get help no matter what the issue is that's bothering you. Right. And honestly, uh, I bet people, do, I bet less than half of our calls are call related. Well, at least so they think, yeah. <laughs> right? Because because so much of what we do in the firehouse affects our home life, right? So, you know, just for, for example, uh, I'll just share this real quick, uh, uh, the hypervigilant cycle, right? Uh, when I share this with guys, they oftentimes, they look at me like, well, that explains this, right? So what happens is for 24 hours, we're at a heightened sense of, aware, sense of awareness, right? Uh, even when we sleep, our brains know, hey, like in any minute, uh, he's still got his T-shirt and socks on. I think he's going to be going somewhere, right? So we don't get a solid night's sleep. Like my wife knows, and she's she's. we've had this conversation. It's not, hey, did you go out? It's how did you sleep, right? Because, well, now I'm kind of, I won't call it a retirement station, but uh, all right, we're all, we're all 40 plus at my station now. Uh, but we'll, we tend to sleep a little more at night. However, I'll still wake up with a headache because I didn't sleep well because I'm in that hypervigilant cycle. And so that extends, you think, well, all right, well, I did my 24-hour shift. I'm going to go home. I'm done. I'm good to go. But what the data actually shows is it takes anywhere from six to eight hours, depending on age and other things. You can talk to Annette about this, right, like diet and fitness and all that plays into it. But, but what happens is our, our, from being hypervigilant for 24 hours, we actually crash. And so what that looks like is I sat with a guy, and he's like, yeah, I got off work, and my wife and I went and did the uh, – 
the corn maze and we got out and she's like, well, do you want to go to my parents or your parents for lunch? And he's like, oh, I don't know. She's like, where do you want to go? I don't know. I can't decide. He's like, I really mentally could not decide. And that's that hypervigilant cycle. He's crashed. His tanked. His brain is done. And so he really can't decide. And so that happens to us when we get off work. And so when we say that, well, it's, it's a home issue. Well, yeah, it's a home issue, but I bet it's, you can't separate the two anymore, right? And there's there's other things that play into this, right, With in terms of emotional numbing, right? You know, my wife says her aunt died, and she's upset, and I'm like, oh, that's what old people do. Right, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> A little old school there, right? Uh-huh. That's what old people do. They die, right? But, again, so what ends up happening, though, is, is more often than not, I hear from guys that they're like, well, I just – don't talk about that because I'm not going to let it affect me at home. <laughs> I'm like, well, if that's what you're thinking, you're way off base because she already knows or, or to be fair, he already knows if it's a female bringing it home, right? They already know something's going on. Now, the problem then becomes it's human nature. If, if I come home and I'm not talking and my wife says, hey, what's up? And I go nothing. And she's like, no, there's something. Immediate human reaction is it's me. So I just want to make sure, be very clear that to say it's it's a home issue or a work issue, yes, <laughs> it's yeah. combined. Yeah, it can. And then surely, too, the cumulative effects of what we see and what we do on a daily basis on, on shift work, uh, you may not think it's bothering you at the moment, but long term, it's it's building back there, right? And And then it does, the exit is the other problems, like the marital problems or... Uh, problems with your kids or whatever that's like the what's showing that's what's showing right, right correct yeah so that uh, that's good to know i think it's important for everybody to hear that out there um you kind of mentioned the, the whole process there and dr mckinnis is there is maybe like a little bit of firewall to catch more serious stuff in the beginning too correct um also when you meet with that peer supporter correct me if i'm wrong i believe this is the correct process here too uh, if i sat down with matt as my peer supporter if I started talking to him, he's trained to recognize uh, this does need to get kicked back to somebody with a little more training or experience, correct? Yeah, and that, that happens. It's very rare, uh, but it has happened where we've set up uh, up here, and then we get a phone call back, hey, this guy's talking all weird. <laughs> and so if there's, if there's any nervous anxiety or question, it immediately gets kicked back up to myself or Dr. McKinnis. Uh, I mean, it'll get kicked back to me because I have the contact, but as soon as I hear that, I send it to Dr. McKinnis because, again, not a doctor. Right. Uh, uh, curious, too, and, and you mentioned, and, and it's probably an old school thing, but the CISD was probably all the rage for a long time. I mean, we've we all been on the job quite a while, but is there? A, I haven't really heard about them much anymore. Um, you know, a fire department does have a big incident. Uh, you know, for, for myself, uh, I'm on DeKalb, and in 2008, we had the, the shooting at Cole Hall at NIU. Uh, you know, that's a high-impact incident that you're experiencing. And we realized, too, they did bring in CISD, and it didn't do anything for us. So if a department does have something like that, what what kind of resources are out there? Like you said, peer support might not necessarily be the fit, or is it? Or, or is there a way, something that you can provide that would help people for, in that for me, situation? It, Luke, I... I I, in my career, went through CISD a few times. Uh, each time I found it equally unsatisfying. And the reason was not that they did a bad job or they didn't have their hearts in the right place, but 
Chiefs often didn't know, what do I do for these guys? And I promise your chief and DeKalb wanted to do the best he could for you guys. So he had this terrible event. I'm going to bring you CISD. Well, then what happens is they come and they go, and the chief's like, there, I took care of the guys. But you don't often feel taken care of. Um, <clears throat> in one of the uh, conversations we had when we taught this class out in Connecticut, where some of those guys were talking about the Sandy Hook shooting, and that's what you get, right? And then it comes and it goes. Well, in the fire service, you guys can both relate to this. Uh, five years later, that's happened. It's over. But now these guys are walking their own kids into preschool, and it feels very different. So what do you do now? Um, and you're not bringing CISD because somebody's kid turned five. That's when peer support can be really valuable. And so uh, what we try to do early on with peer support was we never want to tell anybody no. Uh, it's like, oh, man, that's not a thing we can respond to. So we just wanted to go and talk to them. We made it very clear we weren't CISD, but I want to hear from you. And that's where I think I'll let Tom take over here. But the guys will will just share in a conversation completely separate from CISD, completely unforced. Nobody has to be there. Uh, and they're talking to each other. And I, I found a lot of power and value in that. Yeah. And so that's that's actually our immediate, we call it our immediate group needs. Uh, I call it a non-debriefing debriefing. <laughs> Because no one likes that word, right? It makes the hair in the back of your neck stand up. But uh, but I agree with Matt. Like, it's it's been hit or miss. There's still groups out there. If that's what a department wants to do and it works for them, you know, who am I, right? Uh, but here's what we know. Uh, more and more data is coming out that it's not very helpful. And I know me personally, the last thing I want to do is back in my rig and see someone I don't know sitting there that wants to talk to me. And oftentimes the other issue that they had was people were ordered to go so what we offer is immediate needs uh it has to be completely voluntary uh we recommend uh like 48 96 hours later so either the next shift or the shift after uh the latest data shows that to reduce incidence of ptsd is a 10-day window for people to start talking about it uh and usually one of the best things I recommend, because I, I do get this call, like Matt said, chiefs are like, I got to do something. I got to fix this. And and then I tell them, well, okay, I get that, but it's going to hurt right now. You can't fix that. Let them hurt. Let them be together. Don't send them home. Um, if they, You can offer that if people want to go home, maybe that is okay. Make sure they're going to actually go home and they have um, – that safety net. Right? Yeah, you want like a, like a support a, network. A support right? network, right? Like if they're going home to a spouse and kids, maybe that's good for them. If it's a single guy and he's going to go out drinking, probably don't want to send him home, <laughs> right? That's not going to be helpful. Um, everything is very situational based, right? Um, but so we offer this and we usually come out, like I say, 48 to 96 hours. And it's really, again, it's voluntary. We, we offer to allow the police, dispatchers, whoever's involved with the incident to be there. Uh, the goal is for us to talk very little and it's not to tell people about peer support or Illinois firefighter peer support. It's, I heard you had a tough call. That really sucks. What's going on. Right. Again, because when we start talking, that starts the healing process mentally. It allows us to start, you know, trauma is like a puzzle and all the pieces are there. And as we start talking, we can start putting all these pieces back together. And so that starts that process. Uh, it's not the end all, right? But it starts the process. And the other thing that I'm really kind of proud of is, is we can start that process. And when we leave, we're not done. Here's our number, right? And so we see that time and time again, like we're there, 
a few people talk, and then there's always a couple quiet people that say nothing, but then they call you a couple days later, right? Because they know now that, all right, these guys have kind of been down this road. I can reach out to them. I feel comfortable because they've been there. So that's what I like about what we can offer is it's not just that, like Matt said, five years from now, when you're walking your kid in, you go, what the hell? You know, call us. We've done that. <laughs> yeah, it creates that long-term, like, ability to reach back. Right. And, and get with your organization. Yeah. So if, if, I'm a, if I'm a chief or a union local or whatever department, we do have, like, a high-impact incident like that, same process to contact you, right? Uh, the number. 85590 support. All right. Uh, you can do the website. There's a, there's a button on there that says immediate needs, but the 85590 support works. Uh, my cell works. So the the button on there, there's a couple different options. You the immediate needs is it specific to that like group type thing, or yeah. Is that for- so like if you were to go to the website, there's uh, there's the uh, individual peer support, uh, immediate needs, uh, family outreach, outreach, and then out of state. And so whichever box you click, it goes to a specific group. Because, again, we broke this up on the team. So, like, Jack Berry, who's retired, he runs that immediate needs. Mike Flanagan runs the outreach. Uh, you know, trying to get a little couple things off my plate. Yeah, good, good. Um, what, are, what are some other things that you want to hit out there f- just for overall wellness for our members to, to work through as we kind of start to get near the end of this episode? Uh, you know, don't be afraid to reach out. You know, the other thing that we offer that unfortunately doesn't get taken up much is the, uh, we offer a spousal uh, workshop. Uh, and we've had really good success with it. Uh, I thought it was funny. We we're going somewhere south and they set it up for us. And the, one of the firefighters calls and he says, well, we're just going to send our wives because we got to stay home and watch the kids. I'm like, well, that kind of defeats the purpose. <laughs> so that actually set a model for us that from that point we started recommending that we do this at churches because they always have childcare, right? And they're always willing to kind of support these kind of things. Uh, so it's about three, three and a half hour workshop of uh, myself and uh, Colleen Murphy, just uh, sh- her husband's an Aurora fire. Uh, I think he's a Lieutenant now, but uh, you know, so she kind of gives the, the, the wife's perspective and I give the firefighter perspective. And the idea then is to, create little areas and then we break and then we let the spouses talk, right? Again, it's about communication. It's understanding uh, the hypervigilant cycle, those kind of things. You know, a lot of times the, the firefighters will be like, well, oh, she's finally going to get this. <laughs> like, uh, I think it works both ways, you know, that's part of the problem. So uh, I'd love to see more people take advantage of that. Cause yeah. I, I think obviously we all know that, Besides the other issues we have within the fire service, the divorce rate is really high. Yeah, no, that's good, good to put that one out there. Is there, so that that type of uh, class, it, when you typically do it, is it a department like reaches out or do, they, do you guys usually do it as a typically a regional type of thing? So let's say I'm out in DeKalb, we decide to host this. It would be open to everyone in the area to, typically. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, because you'll, you'll probably find, like most anything, uh, Everybody goes, oh, that's great, that's great. And then you sign up and you've got three. <laughs> right, right. So if you open it up, it, it brings in other places and it, it doesn't need to be uh, department specific. My, my cliff notes, because uh, I'm that short attention span theater guy. 
um, that I always try to leave you know, the classes and the trainings with are first, just you're no different in your career than you are in real life. Every single one of us experiences joy, experiences grief, experiences pain, experiences loss, experiences every emotion under the sun. That's human. And the human part of us will always be true. So to deny any component of that is just not reasonable. So don't run from it. Um, understand that it's okay to not be okay. Now, what do we do with that? Right? It's okay to not be okay. And so the answer to what you do with that is what we talked about earlier. Make it safe. Take that area that you're in, that space that you're in, what your firehouse, your fire department, whatever that might be. Uh, make it safe for somebody to struggle. Celebrate when they're not, but make it safe when they are struggling. Uh, for that person, no, uh, Tom, Luke, you guys are people I can rely on and you'll get me back to a good spot. So yeah, for this point in time, um, I need to refuel, but I'm going to go do that. And it's okay. Perfect. Any other Final parting thoughts, Tom? I think Matt summed it up great. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So just remind us again, like I said, I think it's repetitiveness is is good. So peer support's out there. Do you have there. a jingle, Tom, for your phone number? Or? We got to get like the Empire Carpet guy to, to run that number. They'll, they'll remember it then, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not even going to try that. 855 support. 855 support. We'll just go with that. Anything else will just get repeated constantly at the firehouse over the PA. So 855 support, uh, ILFFPS.org. Uh, yeah. Social, social media outlets too. You guys are on uh, there. Facebook. Yeah. Facebook is it. So they can get to the website through there if they access the uh, Facebook can, page. Yeah. Or, or if you go to Facebook, my, you can get the 855 numbers there. My cell numbers there. You can reach out through messenger. I mean, we make it real easy to get a hold of us. Yeah. So. Perfect. And then we do find times too on our side being AFFI officers, uh, our district vice presidents typically do get the requests that come up through the local, like uh, that union president will end up calling Matt, for example, and saying, hey, I got a guy struggling, where can I go? So, uh, I mean, know that too. They, at the end of the day, in the fire service, we're here to help each other. And somehow somebody will get you to the right spot when you need that. Shout help. out to Vice President Coates. Chris Coates is a, a proud member of Illinois Firefighter Peer Support. Yeah. And sometimes, like, I'll get, Matt will shoot me a, a quick text, like, hey, we have someone here looking for, a clinician and I never even have contact with the person. I just work on finding a clinician, send a number back to Matt. So we, we just do whatever, whatever, we'll do whatever it takes to help someone. Yep. Period. Awesome. That's great. Uh, again, I can't thank you enough for being here. I think it was a perfect uh, companion episode to what we just did with Annette and Marine. And, and we, celebrate donuts and we have donuts we're gonna we're gonna eat them all now since they're not here <laughs> but uh again if you have ideas for our podcast please reach out to myself or jerry and let us know uh if you have missed jerry on this episode uh hopefully he'll be back for the next couple episodes and then he can he can kind of talk about his involvement with peer support at that point point. and after listening to jerry when you need support give tom a shout yeah <laughs> yes so, uh, again, uh, we're live here from the Fire and Iron Media Studios, and thanks for joining us today. And, again, Tom, thanks for coming out and joining us this morning. Thanks for having me.